moving where? Everwood, Colorado. everybody this is angela bowen the host of i left my heart in everwood an everwood podcast how's everyone been holding up with the way things are going right now i'm doing all right and staying home homebound i got my food all that good stuff so of course it's march and i wanted to get to the fourth episode of season one season one episode four entitled the kissing bridge which aired on october 7th 2002 in this episode dr brown and dr abbott must put their striking differences aside to educate the town of everwood after several of their teenage patients are diagnosed with a sexually transmitted disease to make sensitive matters worse dr abbott has reason to suspect that his son bright may have been intimate with one of the patients Meanwhile, Ephraim pushes his romantic feelings aside to comfort Amy, who is distraught over not being able to go to the fall dance with her boyfriend, as he is still comatose. I want to read the summary in the DVD booklet, of course, I had read from IMDb. All right. Students who bought into the fiction that safe sex means any sexual activity except intercourse face an unsettling fact. They have an STD. An endangered town landmark holds special significance for Edna. Of course, you know Edna is Dr. Abbott's mother. So, All right. Well, according to IMDb, this episode holds a 7.4 rating based out of 10 based on 72 ratings. This episode was directed by Michael Schultz, writers Greg Berlanti, the creator, and Rena, is it Mimoon? I'm not sure. All right. Let's see. Ooh! Ooh! We got a review on this one, guys. We got a review. Oh, we got some connections, too. Let's see. The Terminator. Edna says she always rents this movie when she gets upset. Then asked where she's going, she says, to the video store. The real world, referenced by Bright. My best friend's wedding, mentioned in dialogue. Rush Hour 2, Ephraim mentions it by name. Alright, so I'll be on the lookout for those. Here's the review for this episode. It was published on January 27, 2015. Ooh, oh boy, guys, they give this one a 5 out of 10. Titled, Hi Ephraim, Ouch! As much as I like this series so far, I'm just at season one, episode four. I sometimes want to slap Ephraim right across the face for having a chip on his shoulder and being so hostile towards his father. So, do all doctors' sons really feel like that? Simply unable to accept that their parent may sometimes be absent due to the unpredictable nature of their work? It's not like Dr. Brown was out in New York spending time with a mistress or a second family or something. I'm glad Greg Berlanti could come up with a clever and heartfelt drama like this. But Ephraim is just too one-dimensional. And the way he acted out towards Amy in this episode? Gosh! Snappy, sullen, and sharp-tongued. Such a difficult boy. But of course, he's just a teenager, and at that age, supposedly unable to cope any better with what he's facing. If I was also like this back then, how silly I must have looked. Watching relational 
dramas like this makes me appreciate adulthood lol i i like that i like that review i like the wording and everything so as i've said guys it's been quite a while since i've watched the everwood show and if you're familiar with my other podcast punky power or the oh my land to holy chalupas full house fuller house podcast or the of course so looking back on my wonder years a Wonder Years podcast, you'll know how I do my podcast. I will watch the episode, I will comment on it, I will go through the scene, give my opinions, and just overall have fun with it. And hoping that you guys have fun listening to it. Uh, I know that Hulu did take Everwood off of their programming. However, if you guys have Amazon Prime, you can watch all four seasons of Everwood, which is awesome. So... Real quick, I'll let you know if you're new to the podcast. I want to thank you for listening and tell you where you can find the podcast on social media. On Facebook, go to I Left My Heart in Everwood or just type in Everwood Podcast. It's going to pop right up. It'll let you know the episodes I've already done. As I've said, today I'm currently focusing on Season 1, Episode 4, The Kissing Bridge. And how I do the podcast pretty much is I do an episode a month just because I do have other podcasts that I'm focusing on as well. But I really wanted to get another uh, a rewatch of the show because I love it so much. And honestly, I've seen seasons one and two a bit more than I've seen season three and four. Season four is like completely, I can't even remember. I honestly got to say, I think in season four, I did dip in and out of it. On Instagram, if you go to LBOM Wonder Years Podcast, you are going to find information for the podcast Everwood as far as what episodes I'm focusing on. Also, if you guys are enjoying the podcast, if you want to support the show, show it a little love, go to Apple Podcasts, go to iTunes, look for the Wonder Years Podcast, looking back at my Wonder Years and rate and review the show. Every single rate and review that the show gets, gets it more up in popularity, lets people know. There are other, you know, Everwood, Wonder Years, Growing Pains, Mr. Belvedere, Small Wonder, which are other shows I've done on this podcast feed as well. Let you know where you can get all that content. Currently, of course, if you want to, Go back and listen to all of the Wonder Years podcasts that I've done, seasons one through six. You will have to get it through the SoundCloud page. You can listen on other, like, unfortunately, Apple or iTunes seems to only do a certain amount of episodes that are available to be uploaded on their site, but SoundCloud has all of them. Alright guys, without further ado, I'm ready to jump into this episode. I... Remember this episode a little bit. I do remember there's a nice scene between Harold and Edna, Dr. Abbott, you know, Harold, and his mom, Edna, and it's just, he's really there for her. This kissing bridge, the title of the episode refers to a bridge where I believe Edna was proposed to by her husband, Harold's father, and it holds a special significance in her heart. And I believe they are going to be destroying the kissing bridge. So I like that even though Harold and Edna, you know, his mom disagree a lot, they really butt heads. 
he is there for his mother when she needs him in an emotional time like this. So props to Harold. All right, without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Of course, to start the episode, we do have the lovely narration from Irv Harper. The Irv comes on and he talks about how a lot of things change, especially in small towns. Like take, for instance, Everwood's first local bank. And we see an old black and white, like, sepia-toned picture of Everwood Bank. Apparently it burned down in 66 and they never rebuilt it. Wow. And it just, it's typical change that happens as time evolves. Like the Sinclair gas station where people will come out to pump your gas. Now they just have a mobile station where you pump your own gas. It's just typical of any town is going to, you're not going to have that gas station service. You know, where they're going to come out, they're going to pump your gas, they're going to get your windows, they're going to check your oil, all that stuff. No, you're going to do that stuff yourself. Or you're going to go somewhere and pay someone to do it for you. Actually, now that I think about it, your wipers in your car are pretty much, you know, they wipe your windshield clean anyway. You don't got to pay anyone to do that. It just does it itself. And, of course, we all know what happened to the train depot. It became the office of Dr. Brown. So, of course, we got to get to the bridge. This old, dilapidated bridge that looks like it's seen better days. So about the bridge, legend has it this bridge was constructed by a young man and woman who lived on opposite sides of the river. The two fell in love and constructed the bridge so they could meet in the middle and share what would be their first kiss. From that day on, it would be known appropriately as the kissing bridge. And if people had just stuck to the kissing, Dr. Brown would have been able to avoid one heck of a crisis. So now we also see the bridge now in present day, and it looks pretty worse for where I would not want to be walking on it. It makes that it it looks like it's held together by uh, dental floss. It's yeah. Oh my god! That this bridge, I knew it's like no, don't go on it. And we got some guy on a mountain bike, like oh, I'm just gonna go over the bridge because he's probably done it a hundred times. Boom! Like, some things are meant to last, and, well, some things aren't. The guy, the the wood, like, breaks, and the guy just goes right into that river with his bike. I'm hoping he didn't hit any rocks down below. I mean, the drop is at least, like, maybe 30 feet. But even still, it's like, good golly! It's like, I was not expecting that. Boy, I hope that guy can swim, because if not, you are in trouble. And then from there, we jump into the intro. The kid fell through the bridge? I thought that was an adult man. The kid fractured his arm in three places. Well, you're lucky you didn't break your neck or any other parts of your body, and it's just one arm. So I like how Andy is trying to make the kid feel better because he's like, oh, I fractured my arm in three places. And the guy's like, Dr. Brown's like, well, you know, you're lucky. Because I knew a guy who lived in Greenwich Village who fell through his floor three stories, broke both his arms, suffered multiple cranial contusions. And he's like, hey, you, that make you feel any better? And he's probably giving him a prescription. It's like, I think you might want to give that to his mom or his dad. So Andy tells the kid to avoid using his arm for a couple days. It's fractured in three places. I wouldn't be using it for, like, six to eight weeks or more. Oh, he also tells him to avoid bridges. Well, duh. 
Of course. I wouldn't want to set foot near a bridge or even see one after I, if I fell through one. But anybody who's anybody could take a look at that bridge and say, I am not walking on it. I'm not riding a bike on it. I'm not touching that bridge. Okay, well, he helps uh, Joe, the boy with a broken arm due to the bridge, and now he's going to deal with the Clarks, and this is going to put us right into the plot A story, which is the STD epidemic in Everwood. She's sucking on a Tootsie Roll Pop sucker, and I guess he's seen her previously... And he prescribed her some antibiotics that seemed to be helping. Oh, so Andy did call him, call um, the girl Susie and her mother in. Because he's like, I'm afraid that we may have jumped the gun on this prescription. Turns out the reports revealed that Susie does not have strep throat. Oh god, the mom is gonna be, like, thrilled when she hears what her daughter does have. She's like, oh, it's a regular cold, right? And Andy's like, uh, not exactly. And Andy's like, you know, maybe Susie and I should talk alone first. Like, I don't think the mother is gonna want that. Of course, the mother's like, oh, why would you need to do that? And Susie's like, oh, I don't care. My mom can hear what I've been doing. And he's like, uh, okay. <laughs> I want to play <laughs> as he tells her what she has. It looks like you might have contracted an STD, Susie. A what? A sexually transmitted disease. But how is that possible? I've never even had sex. I'm like a total virgin. Are you sure? Well, of course she's sure. Good lord, what kind of question is that? Well, as her doctor, it's one I have to ask. I don't mean to make anyone feel uncomfortable. Well, I believe she answered your question. She's never had sex. She's a virgin. Well, I, I hate to henpeck, Mrs. Clark, but uh, I still have a diagnosis which contends that your daughter has, in fact, engaged in some sort of sexual activity. Well, I've never done anything that can get me pregnant, and that's what sex is. <laughs> right, Mom? <laughs> yeah. Feel free to call me if you have any more questions. <laughs> I never would have thought little Susie Clark had a dinner. It's always the quiet one. <laughs> the second girl I've seen this week with the same misguided information. She said they never even heard the term safe sex. The most educating these kids get about sex is how to spell it. Some of them can't even do that right. Any idea what the schools are teaching? I'm not sure, but whatever they don't cover, HBO does. Fred Slaughter's in the examining room. So, I can see in a way, maybe, how kids might misconstrue thinking that the only type of sex is the kind where a penis goes into the vagina. Um, but no, there are other forms of sex. There's anal sex. There's oral sex. You know, just because you're not putting, you know, a dick into your vagina or vice versa if you're a guy doing or however if you're putting it in the sexual organ into your mouth putting your mouth on that you don't know where it's been you're going to contract something and you know kids they probably aren't going to be honest if or whether even if they know they do have something you really think the kids are like oh by the way i caught gonorrhea like a month or two ago from the last person i was with just a heads up yeah i don't think so because Andy just asked the girl straight out, are you a virgin? The girl's like, yes, 
I'm a virgin. I never had sex. And he says, are you sure? And the mother's like, well, she just answered your question. She said no. And she's like, well, I haven't done anything that could get me pregnant. Well, the only thing that's going to get you pregnant is, yeah. So she's done other stuff. And, of course, the whole time she's sucking on that Tootsie Pop sucker. And the mom just looks at her and just yanks the thing right out of her mouth. Like, yeah, you clearly been sucking on some knobs. But now he's done with that patient. Now he's got to deal with a person named Fred who's got some bowel issues. Great. Um, but before that, he and Edna kind of chit-chat about, um, because Andy's new to the town. He doesn't really know, like, what kind of information are these kids getting about sex. And Edna's like, well, pretty much only how to spell it, if they can even do that. But the school doesn't cover, HBO does. Earl, I think you should have just stayed home and started, you know, diddling yourself. You would have been just fine. You wouldn't, you can't contract an STD by masturbating yourself. Safest sex, you want to not do the sex, you can go self-service yourself. Simple as that. You don't get pregnant, you don't, don't get STDs unless you're, you know, masturbating with a person. I don't know. All right, so we go from Dr. Brown's office to Everwood's high school. From still hanging around Wendell, who apparently is dealing with student favors, his little cartel, because he's got a cell phone. Earliest of cell phones, mind you. You couldn't text on these things if your life depended on it. But you got to do, like, the letter, the numbers, that go to A, B, D, like, hit one, like, five times. Like, oh, shoot, I got to start over. My gosh, this kid's got the hookup. Apparently, it was his mom's mechanic. I don't know what favors he's doing for that dude, but dang. As Wendell says, well, you'll find my reach extends far beyond our high school walls, Brown. So Ephraim's like, gee, Wendell, I don't, um, when do you find time for things like, oh, I don't know, homework? An abundance of riches, Wendell's like, wow. And Ephraim's like, hell is all this dang twigs and branches and shit decorated decorating the lockers like why do you have pieces of nature on your locker so Wendell is going to school him in the fall dance thing I guess it's kind of a way of oh you put it on the locker of the guy you want to go with like this fall dance is kind of like the Sadie Hawkins, da Hawkins dance where the girls ask the boys. One of these just has a dink ass pine cone attached to the front. Like, wow. So, the bigger the thing, the more uh, um, the person wants to go with you. Someone actually asked Wendell, Wow, I am so shocked. So, when the girl picks a guy she wants to go with, she finds an adornment of nature. Puts her name on a card, slaps it on your locker. So, of course, Wendell tells Ephraim, go check your locker. You, I bet he's going to run so fast there. Cause that makes me think of in elementary school on Chicken Nugget Day, back when we had the styrofoam, um, you know, plate things. They'd always say, now wait until you're done eating to check the bottom of your plate to see if you get a sticker on it. Because if you get a sticker on it, you get a prize. I think I got a prize once. It was like some dinosaur cards or something. Of course, Ephraim's like, eh, that's all right. I'll pass. Is there something there on his locker? 
I bet that's not from Amy. How much you want to bet that's from Bright? I got a feeling he's still fucking around with Ephraim, toying with his mind. All right, so now we're going to move to Mama Joy's. I wonder, is Nina still working or is she like on some form of maternity leave even though she, you know, handed her baby off to Sarah? I'm sure she's still got to, like, rest, recoup for a bit to get all healed up and everything. You know, you can't be waiting tables and doing all that stuff after you just had a baby. But, of course, nosy-ass bitch Brenda is all like, Oh my gosh, look at this in the newspaper. They're tearing down the kissing bridge. It made the front page of the pine cone. So I'm going to play this clip as Edna, like, rips it out of Brenda's hands. What's with the southern girl? Cartwright's wedding announcement to page three. She's going to be pitching a fit, I can guarantee it. I'll be down. Are we really going to tear it down? Bulldozers are coming in next week. Well, I for one say it's about time. That thing has just been a safety hazard for years. Your mouth is a bigger safety hazard than that old bridge, and nobody's torn you down yet. <laughs> Do you think they'd at least try to fix it before they call in a wrecking crew? It's laziness is all. Bunch of sluggards run the world. People would rather destroy a historical monument than, than patch a damned hole. You okay, honey? I take it she had the chili again. So Edna is really upset about this. She, like, rips the paper out of Brenda's hand, and then she's just like, I can't believe it, that they're tearing down the kissing bridge. You know, and Herb's like, well, I, why can't they just, like, fix it up? And she's like, yeah, just, you know, patch a hole in everything and she's just really upset about it we don't know why she's upset why she's really bothered by it i mean we know a kid just fell through that hole just fix the bridge up it probably costs more to have people bulldoze it to pay all those people and the machines than it would to patch that hole she just runs and leaves like and herb just feels bad it's like what can he really say does he kind of know the history with Edna and the bridge. Probably not. Maybe that's something that she hasn't really divulged too much about her life with her husband other than the fact that he passed. Now we have Harold <laughs> checking out the apples at this little fruit stand. And of course, you know Harold. Remember how at the Fall Fall Festival, how he's so picky about what he wanted on his ice cream cone? Wanted to make sure the sprinkles were like spread apart evenly or something like that to get the sprinkle ratio just right? Yeah. Alright, so I'm going to play this clip as Andy and Harold are talking about... I'm guessing that Harold doesn't even know about this rampant STD epidemic that's going to slowly start ramping up as the episode goes along. So I'm guessing you are probably like, hey, I just had this case with this girl who's got an STD. I really think maybe you should look into this as well. You know, kind of like team up so they can, you know, crush this epidemic before it just, like, leaks out of Everwood and starts stretching into other towns. That's why I see you're trying to pawn off your Baldwins as McCoons again, Reginald. Tell me that's not dessert. <laughs> the nightmare continues. I have a modest proposal, Doctor. You're donating your body to science to further the medical understanding of the North American dimwit. Close. 
I suggest on occasion we trade diagnoses of the local yokels. For what purpose? Oh, on the off chance we notice a pattern of sickness or disease developing in the community. Sound good? Great. I'll go first. Treated anyone for gonorrhea of the throat lately? May have come in looking like strep. I'm familiar with gonorrhea of the throat. Not personally, I hope. Listen here, Dr. Coco Puffs. If I treated anyone for anything, I wouldn't tell you about it. There's this little rule called doctor-patient confidentiality. Perhaps heard of it. Hypothetically, a few cases of the same STD came into your office, what would you do? Being a doctor, I suppose I would, oh, I don't know, treat them? What if the patients didn't understand how they got the disease? How could they not understand? In their mind, a sexually transmitted disease can only be transmitted via sex. And in their mind, sex is... Intercourse. Yes. I want to talk to the parents. Maybe figure out a way to talk to the kids, too, about this. About what? About how to protect themselves. The people in this town need to be educated about it. The people in this town need to be educated about a lot of things, including how to parallel park. Luckily, I'm not here to teach them. Neither are you. Isn't part of being a doctor teaching people how to avoid getting sick, especially young people? Why are you so interested in this? I have a son who goes to that school, and so do you. Don't you want them to have all the information that we have? So give it to him. Who's stopping him? Well, what about the other kids? Let their parents worry about them. Newsflash, you're not here to save the world, Dr. Brown. Just to annoy it. So, of course, Harold is inspecting these apples here. And he's telling Reginald, who's the fruit farmer, well, it looks like you're trying to pass off your Baldwins as Macoons again. So I'm like, okay, I, my family are fruit farmers. They definitely specialize in apples. And I've never heard of a Baldwin. I've never heard of a Macoon apple either. So I looked up the Baldwin apple. It's a bright red winter apple, very good in quality and easily shipped. It was for many years the most popular apple in New England, New York, and for export from the United States of America. It's also been known as the Cavell Better Felch White Baldwin Pecker, Red Baldwin's Pippin Steel's Red Winter and Woodpecker. The Baldwin was one of four apples honored by the United States Postal Service in 2013. Set of four 33-cent stamps commemorating historic strains joined by Northern Spy, Golden Delicious, and Granny Smith. Oh my gosh. It's even got a statue, guys! You can check it out in Wilmington, Massachusetts. That is wow. It says it was found near Wood Hill by William Butters, 1711 to 1784. Gotcha. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Okay. Well, let's look at the Macoon real quick. M-A-C-O-U-N. Macoon apple. Cross between Macintosh and Jersey Black cultivars. Let's see. Pronounced either Macoon or Macowan. Developed at the New York State Agricultural Experiment Station in Geneva by Richard Wellington. First introduced in 1923 as an eating apple. The apple is excellent for making European-style apple pies because it doesn't break down during cooking and remains firm. Macoons are also very popular at roadside stands and pick-your-own-farms. Availability is generally October through November. Now, of course, at this time in Everwood, it is right around probably October. Of course, you know, Andy and Harold, they got to get their quips back and forth. And Andy says, you know, I suggest that 
Oh, well, one of them was how uh, he says he had a, a modest proposal for Harold. And of course, Harold gets in like, oh, let me guess, you're donating your body to science to further the understanding of the uh, American dimwit. Oh, the North American dimwit, excuse me. Actually, no, what Andy wants to do is, I suggest, you know, on occasion we trade diagnoses of the local yokel. That rhymes, that's local yokel. So Harold does not down with, like, no, no, uh, what's the purpose of this? And Andy's like, well, I want to see if there is a pattern of disease developing in the community. And since we're both doctors, that just makes sense if we kind of join force, forces on this. And Harold, of course, has not had any cases that have come up dealing with sexually transmitted diseases in teenagers as of late. So Andy's like, hey, have you had any... One come in with a case of gonorrhea of the throat. May have looked like strep. And of course, Harold's like, well, I'm familiar with gonorrhea of the throat. And I love Andy's line where it's like, oh, hopefully not personally. It's like, come on. And I love how Harold calls Andy Dr. Coco Puffs. Yeah, I mean, just because they're doctors. I mean, I get where Harold is coming from. It's like, if I ever you know, treated someone for something, I'm not going to tell you about it because there's a little rule called doctor-patient confidentiality, which he, didn't he kind of break that when he was all up on his soapbox at Mama Joy's with Nina and the whole surrogate mother thing? Yeah, kind of, sort of. Well, actually, Andy did that, too. He gave information to nosy-ass Brenda about the fact that Nina's carrying a child that isn't biologically sharing her DNA. Yeah. So Andy's giving a hypothetical here. Like, hey, what if you had come across some cases of uh, STDs with your patients? And Harold's like, I don't know. I guess I would probably treat them. But Andy's main concern is not the fact that these kids are getting the STDs. It's the fact that they think that the only way you're going to get that is if you're having just regular sexual intercourse. Bottom line is Andy's like, these kids are not getting educated that there are more ways than just intercourse, penis with a vagina to get an STD. You know, oral sex is definitely, I mean, because you're putting your mouth on someone's genitals. I know now that I say that it makes it sound gross. I mean, that's direct contact. I'm sure if you're doing that, I mean, I'm sure if these kids are doing that, they're not like taking into effect, like, oh, that person looks like they have a sore on their ball sack, or oh, that person looks like they got a a, a welt or a, a rash or a big old bubble of pus on their, you know, Vaginal, what have you. Kids aren't going to take an, into account that. They're not going to look for that stuff because they're not going to know to look for it. So Harold doesn't want to get involved with this. It's like, look, that is not your priority. You have a kid. You want to educate him about STDs? Great. But these kids have parents, so let the parents take care of the kids in educating them. I mean, I get where Andy's coming from and everything, but the fact is he still doesn't get it. The town of Everwood, these people, 
they keep their business to themselves a lot of the time. Well, they want to be in everyone else's business, but when it comes to stuff like this, I mean, I get the impression that these, some of these, especially that lady just seemed like not so much just down home churchy, but kind of like they have their way of living is kind of me. Guess if you want to call it old fashioned, where they believe, oh, their kids can do no wrong. My Susie isn't like that. When in the harsh reality, the parents need to wake up and realize their kids are doing these things that the parents themselves probably weren't doing at their age. I mean, you might be copping a feel in the back seat, uh, but you're not going down on somebody. Or if you did, I mean, people, I mean, people, girls that went all the way were considered trash in the 50s and 60s. Of course, guys, on the other hand, it, it's just a conquest to them, like a rite of passage. But, I mean, I mean, you guys probably know where I'm going with this. The, the parents and their relation to sex and sexual activity is pretty different to what, and this is the early aughts, guys, this is 2002, I mean, the only sex education I had would have been when I was 11 years old and then we were talking about having, you know, your period and, and your boobs growing and you're getting hair down there and under in your pit area. And I'm sure they gave us a little brief about, you know, boys and a little bit of what happens to them. That was pretty much it. That's as far as my sexual education went. Anything that, I mean, I had a couple friends when I was in my mid-teens that were more versed in the ways came to, you know, not so much the act of sex, but just what they've learned passing on that knowledge to me. And, of course, what I saw on television or in the movies. So at least, yeah, they're definitely kind of on the same page mentally of these kids probably should be educated, but like I said, Harold... It says, no, let the parents take care of the, their kids and you focus on your own. Carol says, you focus on your son. And Andy's like, well, you have you know a, son, a child at home, too. He's referring to Bright. Not once did they bring up the fact, well, what about Amy? Has she been sexually active? I know she's been crying over her comatose boyfriend, Colin. But still... Boys and girls should be educated in taking the precautions if you're going to perform a sexual act of any kind, whether it be intercourse, oral, anal, what have you. All right, so Harold returns to his office. We've got somebody in there coughing up a lung practically, and it's so dark in that room because we got the shades drawn. I feel bad for this nurse here, Louise, I think her name is, he just kind of treats her like crap. But then again, he doesn't really treat his wife any better. Apparently, we learn that Harold likes to play tennis. Cool. And, yeah, he's got to go see the Tompkins, so I'm guessing this is another teenager that's having an issue. Like, oh, well, we want to get... 
I don't think, unless this is the same girl who just went and saw Andy, and now the mother's like, well, I don't trust that doctor. He's asking personal questions to my daughter. Let's take her to Dr. Abbott, who we know and we trust, isn't going to ask personal probing questions. So it looks like uh, Harold's going to have to stay late. He was going to go do his tennis thing at five. So now he's got to, you know, change it to six and call, you know, Rose. Let her know I'll be an hour late. You know, having Louise do all this stuff for him. And, of course, he's going to bitch about the fact that there's no coffee. And she's like, oh, we're, we ran out of coffee. And he's like, well, you f what, you forgot where the market is? All right, I'm going to play this clip. Okay, this is not Susie. This is Francine. Looks like she's got a little bit of gonorrhea of the throat as well. Uh, yeah, this is proving that... Dr. Brown, Andy, was 100% correct in his findings. Have fun, doctor. Well, Francie, your culture came back, and as I suspected, you... Yeah. You do not have strap throat. Nope. <laughs> All right, now we're heading back to Everwood High School. Ephraim's in going to the library to confront Amy about... This note that she supposedly left on his locker about going to the dance. So, of course, this bitch Kayla. I don't know. Why the hell are you still friends with this bitch, Amy? I don't know. She's like, oh, only the girls are supposed to give the pine cones. And Ephraim just looks at her like, I'm aware of that, Kayla. And he's like, somebody left this at my locker. And immediately Ephraim gets his answer when Amy's like, oh, who? She's like, well, I'm guessing it's not Amy. I'm pretty sure it's Bright. Fucking with Ephraim, because why not, I guess. He gets his kicks off of that. You fucker! You fucker! Damn you, Bright, of course! He's all like... <laughs> oh my gosh, you beat his ass. Beat his ass! I want to beat his ass. I'm going to play this clip. Yeah, you don't, bitch. Somebody left this home in my locker. Who? <laughs> you dick! <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't think that I... No, 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 I was just confirming. I guess I overestimated you, dude. I thought you'd at least come up with a new way of messing with me. Right, you're a fucking jerk. Yeah, really. Okay, Ephraim, you didn't have to call him stupid. Figured it was bright, and Ephraim got that clarification when he's like, "Oh, someone left this at my locker," and she's like, "Oh, who? Uh, I don't know." Camera cuts to bright. <laughs> oh my god! And Ephraim just like, "Dude, I thought you'd find new ways to, you know, 
get your jollies off. Or new ideas. And of course, Bright's like, why, dude? You just fall for the same shit. <laughs> of course, Ephraim just throws a pine cone in the trash. Amy runs after him, wants to apologize for Bright being a dick. And of course, she tells him, I'm not going at all. I'm not going with anybody. And last year, Colin and I, and Ephraim stops her right there and says, look, I said it. I get it, okay? I don't care. I don't need to hear about your stupid boyfriend. And I'm like, Ephraim, you, did you have to say stupid? I mean, the poor boy is in a coma. All right, now we're at the Brown House, and it looks like Andy's probably been waiting for Ephraim to get home so he can drop this. STD bomb on him, like, hey, I hope you know your school's an epidemic, um, I need to talk to you about safe sex, and you know that's the last thing that Ephraim wants to hear from his father. Why is Andy looking at Ephraim like he's trying to, like, see inside his head? Like, hmm, like, maybe if I look hard enough at my son, I can tell whether or not he's actually sexually active. Maybe I can just see the syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia just pouring out of his pores. Ephraim turns around going to uh, open the fridge. Like, dude, what do you want? What? I got something on my face? What? Oh, Andy! Because <laughs> Ephraim's like, great, what are you moving to us to Zimbabwe now? And of course Ephraim's like, oh, or Andy's like, no, no, nothing like that. I mean, it's it's kind of funny, actually. I mean, it's not funny, as in ha-ha. <laughs> it's like, Andy, please just get to the point. And this is how he goes about it. See, I don't know whether or not you've ever had sex. And Ephraim's like, yeah, and you never will. They have a half a gallon of milk. A family of three have a half a gallon of milk. There's like next to none in there when he pulls it out. But it's like, seriously? You got a growing girl and a growing a teenage boy, and you got a half gallon of milk. Unless they got another behind it. I don't know. I'm going to play this clip. I just think that was so funny. <laughs> pops into the scene and she's like dad my penguin hat and he comes running down like what what what's wrong with it i washed it like you wanted me to and she's like okay and he's like and then i put it in the dryer he's like yeah now we're getting somewhere there's something wrong with it so it like barely it like shrunk i don't think you're supposed to do that with ball caps you're supposed to like hang dry them, right? I don't wear ball caps, so I don't know the procedure, but I'm pretty sure that little tag on the inside instructs you the proper way to wash a ball cap. Putting it in the dryer probably will shrink it. And as she gets older, her head will probably get bigger. And apparently Julia probably, I, she put it in the dishwasher to wash it. It's like, um, you maybe should have let him know that. Because he's never done laundry before. That was usually Julia's thing. You gotta give him a heads up, Pumpkin. Because he is not going to be able to read your mind. If you have specific specific 
things that need to be done to certain items of clothing, then you need to let your dad know. He's like, well, you didn't tell me that last night. She's like, I didn't think it would come to this. She's like, ugh. I'll try to make it fit. And she keeps trying to put it on her head and it just keeps popping off because it's too small now. It's like, ugh, I need a Pop-Tart. So she leaves and then, of course, the phone rings. <laughs> it's Dr. Abbott. Yep, Harold's calling. And Annie's like, oh, finally taking me up on my carpooling offer? <laughs> yeah, right. They will never carpool together. It looks like Dr. Abbott actually wants to confer with the case that Andy had on the, you know, Susie with that, the gonorrhea of the throat and see if it's a, yeah, this needs to, you got two cases already. I'm sure more are, and the thing is, they're girls. We haven't seen any guys coming in. Did they both suck on the same knob? Uh, here, okay, I don't know how I would have missed this in my original watching of this, but this is the fourth episode, and we see that Rose is the mayor of Everwood. Why did I? I don't get that. How would I have missed that? I'm like, oh, I didn't realize she was the mayor of Everwood till like, season three. Like, wait, no. But now that I'm watching these episodes more closely, I'm picking up on little things that I hadn't probably picked up on or wouldn't pick up on in the initial viewing. Interesting. So they're having this, the um, meeting at Mama Joy's. Now they're going to bring in the school board and see what's going on with that. Has Andy and Harold alerted the school board yet? Is this a widespread thing? Because so far they've only gotten two confirmed cases. I mean, they would have moved. I mean, it's a small town. They probably move fast. So, so interesting enough, Andy has no idea... That the mayor of Everwood is Dr. Abbott's wife. <laughs> when Andy and Harold take the podium and Rose just looks at them like, oh, I didn't never thought I'd see the day when the two of you would be. And Harold's like, don't start, dear. And Andy just looks at Harold like, dear, I mean, are you two? It's like, that's not your business. <laughs>
like it or not, our children are having sex. Now we can either teach them how to be safe about it so they don't die, or we can stay in our cocoons, wax poetic about the good old days, and pretend it isn't happening. Good. Then I say we go on. What's next? <laughs> are you serious? We don't have the authority or the funding to change the current program, Dr. Brown. I'm sorry. That's all right. We appreciate you taking Well, then don't change it. In response to the epidemic, offer a, a privately funded assembly given by the two doctors in this community. <laughs> I agree with that. Basic preventive measures and answer any questions. <laughs> we. An assembly. I like it. We. The super would have to approve and the principal. And I'm sure they'd get you to separate the boys and girls. That's fine. I'll take the girls and your hobby here can take the boys. Excuse me, do I have any say in this? And nope. we'll issue a memo so that any parents who don't want their children attending can keep them out of school. Don't humor me, Rose. Next docket. Cool wife. Did you ever let you play with the gallery? So, Rose reads the docket as far as she refers to the problem as a nasty little STD floating around County High. And of course this one guy, I don't who's on the board, is like, oh, well, are you suggesting a vaccine? And of course Harold's like, well, there isn't a vaccine for gonorrhea. And Andy adds, nor are there any for chlamydia, syphilis, or HIV. What Andy wants is just for parents to be able to educate their children about the best preventative, basically the best preventative medicine is just to talk to your children. And I like how Andy says, he gives us statistics and also the fact that like it or not, your kids are having sex. And he gives a statistic of how many kids are probably having sex before the age of 13. It's like, you guys can live in your little bubble and just pretend, you know, it's the good old days that kids aren't having sex until they're married, and then this is going to be a widespread epidemic. He also, well, basically what ha he, one of them, the board members makes a joke like, oh, what do you want to do, pass out condoms in homeroom? And Andy's like, yeah, for starters. And then the one lady on the board says, well, unfortunately, we already have a program that's paid by the governor of the United States. So what Andy decides is, hey, how about we just do like an assembly where we can talk to the kids if they have any questions for us. And of course, Harold is just standing there as Rose and Andy are agreeing on, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, let's do this. Okay, sure. Let's also, if parents want to keep their kids home, they feel like, oh, that isn't necessary. That was a big thing. When I was 11 and the whole sex ed class, which of course is separate from your regular class, I had to have a permission slip signed by a parent or guardian. This was a little bit of a dispute for, between my dad and my grandma, because, you know, my mom wasn't able to have a say in this. Um, and my grandma, of course, being a devout Catholic, did not want me to take the class. My dad, on the other hand, didn't see it being a problem. So, of course, I did. me and one other kid out of my class were the only two that got permission slips. Of course, I was a girl. You know, I'm a girl. He's a boy. So we're separated. And I remember afterwards, like, wanting to, like, ask him questions. And he was, like, too embarrassed. I mean, we're, you know, 11 at the time. And just thinking about it. Oh, there's a little squirrel out there. Hi, little squirrel. Anyway, um, I was just thinking about how... 
other than that, other than maybe looking at magazines and stuff and seeing, you know, intercourse and naked people and whatnot, I didn't even know really too much about oral sex, you know, blowjobs and, and going down on a girl. I didn't really see any of that. My first probably um, entrance into that would have been the movie American Pie, which came out in 1999. It would have been, you know, 17 around the time. So that was my introduction to learning about other types of sex other than just intercourse. Of course, Harold is all about, before we even get to the whole, let's do an assembly instead, because really their hands are tied, you know, as far as what's already been put in place by the you know, governor of the United States about what they can do in situation. Harold, of course, goes straight to it. Well, I got a memo here that advises parents how to talk to their kids and such and such. But of course, Andy wants to go much farther. He wants kids to be educated. And he's scared, you know, he sees that parents, like, are uncomfortable. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to see, they don't want to face the fact that their kids, that we live in a changing world and kids younger than 13 are probably experimenting sexually. It's like, great, you can just close your eyes to this and then just watch your kids get one STD after another, probably eventually leading to HIV, and then you're pretty much powerless. Andy even says, if you want to just close your eyes on this and wait until your kid maybe dies from one of these diseases, you can do that. But let's make sure that the kids have the answers and the information that they need so they can make better choices and they can be informed about the dangers out there. Because even, you know, at a young age, when you're a teenager... You probably think, oh, nothing bad will ever happen to me. And when you go about that attitude, shit happens. And, you know, Andy even talks about their abstinence-only program at school, which, of course, is enforced by the United States government. It's like, no, 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 we need more than that. We need the kids to be actually informed that if they're going to have sex, what precautions they need to take, and the dangers out there of sexually transmitted diseases. I'm going to move on from this scene. Ropa, I love how Andy just roped Harold into that. <laughs> and Rose was like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. A privately funded assembly. And, of course, the boys and girls will be separated. Of course, Rose considers the issue like, okay, good, next next uh, issue on the docket here. And, of course, I like how when Andy and Harold walk away, Andy's like, hey, cool wife, does she ever let you play with a gavel? <laughs> All right, now we're jumping back to Everwood High as Kayla and Paige are talking about some guy named Brett annihilating some girl named Beth. Does that mean he broke up with her? Oh, okay. So basically he turned a girl down when she tried to give him a pine cone to go to that fall dance. In the hallway, we get this slow-mo shot of Ephraim passing Amy in the hall and not even looking her way. Yet she does, you know, turn in his direction. He's pretty much giving her the cold shoulder. Because she won't go to the dance with him. This is 100% right now in season one. This is all in, uh, um, unrequited feelings on Ephraim's end. And I remember in my original viewing of, you know, season one, just all the little itty bitty tidbits that we get, the little nuggets we get of Ephraim and Amy, you know, sharing little looks and then... Um, 
something that progresses down the line in season one. And I just, I was there. I was there. I was there for it. I was there for the relationship. I figured eventually they would get together. Okay, looks like we're heading over to Everwood Elementary with Delia. Looks like Magilla and some other kid are doing the thumb wrestling, thumb war. And looks like, uh, you know, in the last episode, Delia was like, hey, it looks like you don't have a lot of friends. I could be a friend to you if you want. And looks like he's pretty much giving her the brush off. At this age, boys really probably don't want to be friends with girls. They want to hang out with the boys. You know, maybe they think like, oh, if I hang out with a girl, I'm going to get teased. Of course, she's like, hey, can I play? And he's like, no, you can't. You're just a stupid girl. And he calls it the Thumb War Championship game. And then he's like, oh, you probably suck your thumb. But he just wants Delia to get lost. Like, hey, your stupid penguin hat. And she's like, oh, I thought you liked penguins. He's like, no, I never said that. Take a hike. And, of course, the other kid's like, yeah, take a hike. I wouldn't waste my time with McGilla if I were Delia. He clearly does not. But honestly, he's just like, yeah, I'll be kind of like, I'll be friends with you when no one else is around or I don't have anyone else to play with. But when we're out here with all the other kids, you don't know me and I don't know you. Feel bad, you know, she just sits on that, you know, little retaining wall and just feels sad and alone. She doesn't have anybody. You know, other girls probably see her like, oh, she's wearing a hat, and, you know, she's a tomboy and stuff like that. They, everyone kind of, that just seems like the town of Everwood is just like that. They are really wary of outsiders. Now we go to, I'm going to, we got a lot of different plots here. We got um, the STD plot with Harold and Andy. We got Ephraim and Amy and the whole fall dance thing. We got Delia and Magilla. We got Irv and Edna and the whole kissing bridge. He's doing a solid for her. Like, honey, I know that you're upset about the bridge being demolished. I got you some chicken parm. It's your favorite. She's working on her motorcycle. Just And you can see the white bag has just got, like, red goop, like, coming off the bottom, a bottom corner. She's like, can you not? You're getting tomato sauce all over my drill bits. So he's just, you know, he, he's being a good, dutiful husband. He you know, sees his wife just having a bad day and really down about this bridge and just, hey, chicken parm, right? Your favorite. Well, he tells her some good news. Hey, looks like they may not be tearing down the kissing bridge after all. But she stops, looks up at him because she's on the ground, you know, tinkering with her bike. And she's like, well, why wouldn't they tear it down? Like, clearly if it's in the paper, it's a done deal, right? So Irv went down to city council to the meeting and asked them not to. Um, I guess he's got that kind of power. I mean, he's a bus driver. You know, she's been in Everwood for a long time. She's the mother of Dr. Abbott. Maybe he's got some, maybe Irv's got some sway. Oh, Irv probably thinks like, hey, you know, she might be happy that I went down there and told them not to do that. And she's like, why would you go do something like that? Is your brain like AWOL or something? And he's like, look, I don't know what you want. I I did something nice for you. I could see it was bothering you, so I went down to city council and like took care of it. 
this isn't unfortunately a, a quick fix. You can't just, I want you to stop doing this thing that you're going to do with tearing down the bridge and they're going to listen to you. Like, I think, I don't think so. He's like, who do you think you are? And he's like, well, I'm your husband last time I checked. And I thought one of the duties of a husband is to cheer up his grouch of a wife. Yeah, she does care about that, but she's like, if I need a cheering up, I go rent Terminator. And second, I don't give a damn about that old bridge. I'm like, bullshit! When you were looking at the dang newspaper, you I mean, you ripped it out of Brenda saying, oh my gosh, let me see that about the bridge. Oh my gosh, the cheering. It's, it's a deeper issue, guys. It is a deeper issue than what I don't think she even told Irv about. I think that's where her husband proposed, her, Harold's father proposed to her, and that's why it's so important to her. So yeah, Edna can be in denial all she wants, but she does care about the fact that that bridge is going to be torn down. Alright, now we're going to the Abbott household, so let's see what an Abbott dinner looks like versus a brown dinner. Have you decided who you're asking to fall dance this year, Amy? So at the Abbott dinner table, Rose asks Amy if who she's going to be going with to the fall dance. And of course, Bright laughs, thinking of that trick he played on Ephraim. Like, oh, so funny. And Bright's all like, well, it's not like you were going to ask him anyway. And Amy's like, well, you don't know that. So Bright just says, you know, you uh, better thank me then because I probably saved your reputation. Oh, give me a break. Well, Harold, of course, has no idea what they're talking about, and Amy says, I'm not even going. Rose is like, oh, well, Colin wouldn't want you to stay home alone, and Amy's like, can we just not talk about this? Can we drop it, please? So, Arnold, Arnold, why did I say Arnold? <laughs> Harold drops the sex education assembly bomb at the table, and of course, Amy and Bright are like, oh, God. I mean, sure, it's bad enough to have one of those things, but to have it being taught, or however, by your parents? Talk about extremely embarrassing. You wouldn't be able to show your face at school. 
So Harold's like, I get it, it'll probably be uncomfortable for you, so that's why I wanted to open this up for a family discussion. So any thoughts? Of course. Amy's like, oh, is this because uh, that girl Susie got VD? And of course she says this right as Harold is taking a sip of water. And he... <laughs> Rosa's like, well, how do you know about Susie Clark? And Amy's like, well, everybody knows. It's a high school. Someone gets VD or has sex or any of that shit. The kids are going to know that's going to run rampant through the school like wildfire. Of course, Bright says, well, I didn't know. And Amy's like, well, how could you not know you dated her? And, of course, Harold goes back to choking on his water or food or whatever again. Bright's like, well, that was like a million years ago. That's back when Francie was in the picture. And it's like, oh, yeah, you like, <laughs> yeah, that makes it that much more better because Francie was the girl who was Harold's patient who also had gonorrhea of the throat. So, yeah, Amy is well-versed in STDs. Like, oh, don't worry about it. I mean, gonorrhea is totally curable, unlike the herp, which never goes away. Isn't that right, Dad? It's like, oh, God, you kids know too much for your age. Well, but then again, it's nice that they actually, well, at least Amy's informed. I can't say she speaks for all of the Everwood High School population. Susie and Francie are probably not well-versed because they ended up getting the gonorrhea by sucking on a knob. Probably the same knob. I don't know. So to prevent Harold from choking further, Rose just jumps in and says, you know what, I think your father's going to be covering all of this at the assembly. Why don't you hold your questions until then? I can imagine also now that Harold's going to have to have a conversation with Bright because he has been with both girls in question that have come up positive for gonorrhea. Yeah, he's going to have to have a conversation with his son about, because clearly Bright doesn't know about safe. But then again, Bright's all like, well, I dated them years, years ago. Come on, Harold, you couldn't think that your son wasn't sexually active. Now we're going to jump over to the Brown House and deal with their whole dinner conversation about the sex ed assembly coming up. Yeah, of course Ephraim's going to be embarrassed. Like, he already feels like a freak at the school. Now his father's going to come and talk about sex, transmitted diseases, and safe sex at his school? <sighs> I had no idea this would bother you so much. Well, now you know. So you can go back to the school board and tell me you changed your mind. I can't do that, Ephraim. Besides, your mom used to go to all the PTA meetings and she was a member of the school board. Never minded that. Mom used to make banana bread for the bake sales. She didn't frontline any of my sex assemblies. Well, you see my cooking. I can't do bake sales. Uh, I'm serious. Ephraim, what is it you want from me? I want you not to do this. If you do, it's going to make my life even more unbearable than it already is, which is, like, not even humanly possible. Well, if it's not even humanly possible for your life to get any worse, then what's the problem? Yeah, what's the problem? Shut up. Look, Ephraim, I think you're being just a little bit melodramatic. It's not like I'm trying to ruin your life. You don't have to try. You do it pretty naturally. What is it that I'm doing that's so terrible? Everyone in school is going to go around saying how Dr. Brown is a big sex expert and how his loser son can't even get a date to the stupid dance. What dance? What are you talking about? Nothing. Forget it. Is that the reason you don't want me to come to your school? Because you want to go to a dance? I'm confused. Why do I even need a reason? Why can't you just be a father instead of a doctor for once? Ephraim, when I was in neurosurgery, I could never help people before they got sick. I couldn't prevent their sickness. I can do that now. So if you miss this assembly, kids all over town are going to drop dead from having unsafe sex? Maybe. Well, it's a good thing you're there for Dr. Brown. Maybe one day I'll know what it's like for you to be here for me. Oh, stop it, Ephraim. 
Your attitude is tiresome. I get it. Ephraim's a kid. He's a he's a teenager. The idea of his parent coming to his school to talk to other kids about safe sex and all that stuff is going to be embarrassing. And the fact that Ephraim's like, oh, I can't even get a date for the dance. I see Andy's point. Like, you know, he couldn't prevent other people's sickness by, you know, when he was a neurosurgeon and stuff. He couldn't see this stuff coming until they already had it and they came to him. Now he has the opportunity to be able to, you know, nip this thing in the bud, let kids know of the dangers of unprotected sex. And I thought it was kind of funny when Ephraim was all like, oh, so kids everywhere are going to drop dead from unprotected sex. And then he, of course, is going to throw out the, oh, wow, it's so nice that you can be there for them. I wish you could be there for me. It's like, kid, you need to lose the damn attitude. Andy's right. You are being way too damn melodramatic. Of course, also, that bread, we know that Andy is not a good cook, and Delia's like, this bread is hurting my teeth. <laughs> All right, looks like we're going back to Everwood High School. So we see Ephraim locking up his bike because he takes his bike to school, and he sees Amy and stands up, and he's like, hey, and she's like, oh, so we're back to greeting each other, and he's like, well, I am if you are, so it seems like they cleared the air, which is good. And she tells him, you know, I was never mad at you, Ephraim. And, of course, Ephraim's like, well, I mean, you should have been. I said some pretty stupid things the other day, and I'm sorry. But she tells him, like, hey, let's just skip the back-and-forth apologies. Just assume we're both, like, sorry forever. Like, oh, that works. But here's the thing that Amy and Ephraim can bond over. The fact that their dads are coming to their school to talk about safe sex. Oh, cool. Yeah, they can also bond over how much they don't like their parents. Everyone's like, gosh, it's bad enough I gotta see him in the morning and at night, I, afternoons, or my time out away from him. And of course, Amy says, you know, I kind of hate both of my parents right now, too. Like, teenagers. Everyone's like, wow, I mean, I kind of figured your, your family was such a, you seem like such a well-adjusted family unit. And Amy's like, yeah, I mean, my dad's OCD, my brother's ADD, and what did she say about her mom? And my mother's just plain crazy. I like, um, Amy's corduroy tan jacket. Ephraim's like, and what about you? And this is where Amy kind of alludes a little bit about the fact that this whole dance thing is just really bothering me. And it's like, no one understands why this is hard for me. Probably maybe she went with Colin the year before. And it's just, it's bringing up all that, you know, the fact that Colin can't be there and everything and everyone is just all excited about who they're gonna go with and it just seems like I can see how her she feels maybe her mom's putting a little bit of pressure on her like get out of the house Colin wouldn't want you to just stay home by yourself and not go to this dance and she says how you know she just wanted to ask him again you know like last year and she just wants to feel normal again even if it's just for one second which I can understand I mean that's understandable. That's not a corduroy jacket. That's a suede jacket that she's wearing. Okay. Because we kind of get a close-up shot of it. When we lose someone we love, whether they've passed away or whether they're currently indisposed, you know, like Colin, he's in a coma, or, or if something, an illness has kind of taken someone down, it's hard to not want things to go back to you know, normal, and not have to constantly be worrying. Like, in her, in her case, like, is Colin going to wake up today? 
And, you know, when is this nightmare going to be over? It almost probably feels like she's sleepwalking through her life until Colin wakes up from this coma. I like what Ephraim does here. This is a selfless moment for him. We know that he has a bad he's pining away for a girl who's currently unavailable because she is still pining after Colin. And Ephraim's like, look, if that's what you want to do, then do it. And she's like, what are you talking about? He's like, go ask Colin to the dance. I mean, think about it. He's three hours away, four by bus. If we get there, you can ask him. I like that he's willing to help her out. I'm tired. And this dance is just making me feel worse. My mom keeps bugging me about it. It's like no one understands why this is hard for me. I just wanted to ask him, you know, like last year. I just want to feel normal again just for one second. If that's what you want to do, then you should do it. What are you talking about? Ask Colin to dance. He's three hours away from here. Four by bus. If we want to make it back by dinner, we're going to have to leave now. I'm serious, Amy. I would give anything to be able to talk to my mom again. It wouldn't matter to me if she could answer. I'd just be happy to see her. Ephraim kind of ties us into his mom. It's like, believe me, if I could talk to my mom even for a minute, even if she couldn't talk back, just to be able to see her would be enough for me. I, I think that maybe, you know, I've never known someone who was in a coma, but I would think if you're talking to them, I think in some way they can still hear you. All right, now we're going to jump to Andy's office. We got Edna on the phone, of course, having to deal with his patients, wanting to know why Andy isn't going to be there to see them. And she's like, because he's not going to be here this afternoon. Jeez, what is wrong with you people? And she's telling him, look, you can either reschedule or keep your appointment and let me treat you. But luckily, Andy gets there just in time, and she's threatening to shove a tongue dispenser right up someone's ass. Andy's like, is there something wrong? Because uh, <laughs> you're scaring away the sick people and we don't charge, remember? So she does tell him that she's feeling depressed. So I'm going to play this clip as she talks about her first husband, Hal Sr. So we don't really know a whole lot other than the fact that Harold and his father really tended to butt heads a lot. But he really did worship his father. I don't, haven't really gotten to, I mean, it's only the fourth episode, and we really don't know, like, what their marriage was like and how she felt about her first husband, but we're going to get a, um, a little bit of an eye-opener here. I got feelings. It's got to do with my first husband, Hal Sr. I've been thinking about him a lot lately. Any particular reason why? Well, the particulars aren't important. <laughs> I just don't want to stop thinking about him. Now, how do I do that? Depends. How do you normally deal with grief? I served two tours in Nam. Denial, then? Pretty much. So what do you do? Let's see. I uproot my family, move into the middle of nowhere, and open up a free clinic. But hey, that's just me. Husbands aren't as easy to wrangle as kids. For one thing, they're heavier. What does her think about all this? I haven't exactly told her. Well, I think that's your first step. Now, I hate to dispense advice and run, Edna, but I'm late for school. So hand me some condoms and wish me luck. 
Okay, so that wasn't much of an eye-opener. Um, just that she's been thinking about him a lot, and it's really hard for her. And, of course, being they are both widowed, Edna and Andy, she's like, well, how did you deal with it? He's like, oh, well, I uprooted my kids and moved to a, a town and this and that. <laughs> she apparently served two tours in Vietnam. And he's like, all right, well, I hate to cut and run here. I got an assembly, a sex talk to give. Can you give me some condoms? Thank you. So he does advise her, of course, before he leaves, like, because she says she hasn't talked to Irv about it. And Andy's like, well, that probably would be the first step. It's like, Irv is just, he's your husband. He doesn't know. He wants to help you through this. He, you know, But he can't help you if he doesn't know the reason why you're so concerned about this bridge, why you're so worked up and upset about it. All right. Now we're going back to the elementary school, Bedelia and Megilla. Hey, she got that penguin's hat to fit. How about that? Either that or Andy bought her another one. Oh, it's corn dog day. That's great. I love how Megilla, like, doesn't sit next to Delia, but he goes around to the side of the picnic table she's sitting at and just doesn't even talk to her face to face. He's turned away from her, kind of like that way. Oh, no one will actually think I'm talking to her. But he's like, hey, my mom said you can come over tomorrow after school if you want. Of course, Delia's, like, looking this way and that, like, oh, is someone talking to me? <laughs> but he turns around to face her, like, hey, are your ears broken or something? And she's like, well, I thought you didn't like me. He's still got that metal skull choker. Ugh. She must have given that back to him. Dang, this kid. He's <laughs> like, don't be dumb. I talk to you, don't I? It's like, oh, my goodness. Magilla, I swears. He's like, hey, you want to come over or not? And she's like, eh, I guess so. All right, now we're running up to Everwood High School. Oh my gosh, what is Harold pulling out of his trunk? I bet he's got like a bunch of like diagrams and poster boards and charts and pie charts and a bunch of stuff. Let me guess, Annie just brought the free condoms with him, right? <laughs> just condoms, yes. <laughs> Symptoms of gonorrhea. Talk slowly. Odds are there's at least one kid in your assembly who has it. <laughs> He's so grossed up by that. Here we go. <laughs> Hello. My name is Dr. Harold Abbott. Uh, let's, uh, oh God, breaks there. Let's start off with some basics. <laughs> room brights there of course and the first thing Harold pulls out is a diagram of the reproductive system and you hear someone wolf whistle it's like yeah it's a shot of someone's vajayjay with the inner workings of their uterus and intestines and all that fun stuff of course Harold doesn't really know which poster board he's holding until he looks at it after someone wolf whistles Oh, God. Bright is so embarrassed. He's, like, scratching the back of his head, kind of trying to, like, lean down and go, crap, my dad's here. 
Okay, so now we're in Denver at the hospital. Amy's visiting Colin, and of course she's giving him the lowdown, the deets on what's been going on since he's been in a coma about some girl who got her braces off, and she's like a totally different person and who's dating who and all that. She's also talking about how the dance, a girl named Allie, her mom, who's probably on the committee for making the gym look awesome, is turning it into a magical forest. I'm gonna play that. This is so sweet, her asking him, even though he's not gonna be there, but just her asking him. I know it sounds bizarre, but Allie says her mom's practically a professional at this stuff, so <laughs> she'll look amazing. I guess now the only thing that's missing is you and me. Which is why I'm here. I know it's last minute. <laughs> So she asks him, you know, will you go to, go with me? And she's just like, all you have to do is say yes. Just open your eyes and say yes. And in the back, you do see Ephraim kind of looking through the window in the door at her and just her pleading with Colin to open his eyes. And it's, it's sad. It does break my heart that, you know, this poor boy's in a coma and everything. Now we're going to get back to the brown house. Andy's picked up Delia from school. Of course, he's talking about how his sex ed talk, the question and answer session went great. And apparently, I don't know who Dr. Drew is either, but apparently Andy kicks his butt. Like, I'm awesome. So, Andy senses that Delia's kind of down, like, oh, that's great, Dad. So, he sits down and kind of talks to her, like, hey, what's up? She's like, it's Magella. He's like, oh, the bully, is he bothering you again? And Delia's like, well, no. See, I mean... When it's just him and me, he's he's nice to me. But if he's around other kids, he pretty much acts like I don't exist. But I don't know, honestly, if you're if you're that age and everything and you're new, you don't have any friends, would you wanna be friends with someone who is just gonna pretty much ignore you in public but be friends with you when no one else is around? I would say I might want a friend, but I don't want one so badly that I'm going to put up with that garbage. Even at that age. Even as an adult. It's like, seriously. If you can't acknowledge me publicly, I won't acknowledge you privately. Words from Seth Cohen. Season 1 of the OC. Perfect. So, Andy asks, like, oh, do you like him? And I'm thinking, how do you... Are you thinking, like, like him like a friend or like him like a boyfriend? Uh, he must know, like, she likes him like a friend. She just wants a friend. Oh, she, I mean, one thing that does probably kind of confuse him, like, as she says, sometimes I would have put my hands on his shoulders. So Andy, of course, he is not versed in talking to Delia about boys. He's not even versed in talking to Ephraim about girls, even though Ephraim, of course, ain't going to listen to that. So he's like, hey, let's go see if Nina's home. Delia's question is this. I don't understand why he doesn't want people to know that he invited me over. And she's like, I want to tell the whole world. 
So I like how Andy breaks this down for Gilia. He says, boys and girls are different, not just how they look on the outside, but how they work, how things work on the inside. Like, basically, their minds are wired differently. Girls, usually, of course, they're going to mature faster than boys when it comes to intellect, and they're not going to have feelings for girl, j girls at age nine and vice versa. I mean, girls might get little crushes on boys, but... That's as far as it's going to go. So Annie's like, oh, I mean, if you're friends with a boy, you might want to, you know, bake him cookies. And Delia's like, or touch his shoulders. And I'm like, what's with the shoulders thing, kiddo? I don't get that, but whatever your jam is, I guess. <laughs> so Andy's like, well, if a boy wants to be friends with you, he might, you know, punch you as a sign of friendship. And I'm like, oh, wow, have we changed so much since then. I've been reading middle grade books, um, one in particular that's called That's What Friends Do is about um, a girl who's friends with a boy and they've been friends for a while and then this other boy comes in and then he starts being really handsy and just like taking bites of her food and this and putting a hand on her shoulder and stuff like that and where she's Basically, I mean, these kids are like 12, 13. It's like, I didn't invite you over here. I don't really appreciate you putting your hands on me. Like, you feel comfortable and stuff like that. And it's just, it's amazing how, I think that's really, honestly, important to let young kids know. Even at says what is appropriate and what is not considered appropriate. I mean, I grew up in an age in the late 80s and 90s where kids, like, you know, hit each other, or, 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 or play fighted, or what have you, or kissed each other on the cheek and everything, and no one bat an eye, like, that's just normal. Nowadays, no, you cannot do that. It's all about self-respect and boundaries. And Delia's like, oh, really? Because he did flick my cap, and of course, Andy's eyebrows narrow, like, he did? It's like, her hat! He flicked the cap of her hat, Andy. Calm down. Calm down. It's okay. This is not a sexual term of any, of any kind. This is another thing I don't think would be allowed today. Andy got home with Delia. She probably gets out of school at what, maybe 2.30, what have you. Andy just now is receiving a call from Ephraim School saying that he has not been in any of his classes. That seems like a call that you would make, like, at the start of the first class. Like, where's the kid? Nowadays, you probably would do that. You're not going to wait till the end of the school day and say, Oh, uh, your kid wasn't in school at all today. Of course, he's like, Oh, here, let me check. Hey, Ephraim, Ephraim, you here? Okay, he's not here. Speaking of Ephraim, there's a framed picture of Ephraim and Julia right by the windows in the kitchen. So he tells the person on the line, look, I'll be sure to talk to him. And then he hangs up like, oh, if he ever comes home. Now we go to a cafe where Ephraim and Amy are having dinner. I don't know what time of night this is. Amy is basically inhaling her fries because Ephraim just looks at her. And he's like, whoa, slow down. You don't have to inhale it. And Amy, of course, is starving. I'm sure they didn't eat anything since they got to Denver and all that. And maybe... You know, she's upset, so maybe she's eating her feelings. I don't know. And Amy thanks Ephraim for coming, you know, there with her, going to Denver, the hospital, and all of that stuff. He was really a good friend for her. 
course, everyone's like, oh, well, I mean, I really didn't want to be just in school today with my dad, you know, being the porn king. Oh, my God. I swear, the lines I write for this kid are just, they're completely golden. So Amy asked if it was this bad, you know, in New York. And, of course, everyone's like, what, was I major geek? And she's like, oh, well, I didn't mean it like that. You say, oh, well, it's almost like a defense mechanism. Someone says something and Ephraim's immediately, I mean, even if it's Amy, it's like, okay, chill down, boy. And he's like, oh, well, I almost went to one dance at my old school, the winter, the semi-formal, winter semi-formal. He tells Amy how he almost went with Catherine Adams. She wasn't the most popular girl in school, but she was the prettiest. Apparently, Ephraim is into the whole punk Gwen Stefani look. So Ephraim's friends, you know he had friends back in New York at school, had dared Ephraim to ask the girl, and of course, he was totally shocked when she said yes. So, of course, the day of the dance, Catherine calls and says that she's sick and can't go to the dance. Yeah, I'm calling bullshit. Ephraim, of course, doesn't want to tell this to her mom, his mom because she's so excited for him that he got at, you know, he asked a girl and she accepted. So he gets all dressed up in his suit and grabs a corsage. He leaves like he's going to go pick up Catherine. Of course, he doesn't. Instead, he goes to see Rush Hour 2. Oh, Amy's like, let me guess. Catherine wasn't really sick. And everyone's like, oh, no, she was sick. She had mono and was out the rest of the semester. Like, ugh. Well, you know what? I'd say you dodged a bullet there, Ephraim. You dodged a bullet. Oh, my gosh. It's after 9 o'clock. Holy moo. Because Amy finally looks at the clock in the diner. It's like, oh, crap. Your parents are going to kill you. Not to mention, she hasn't let anyone know. Neither of them have let anyone know where they're at. Turns out they missed the last bus. And everyone's like, oh, well, don't worry. We'll catch you the next one. And Amy's like, uh, there is no next one. Everyone's like, oh, boy. Well, that could be a problem. So back at the Brown House, Dilly is working on schoolwork while Andy is busy pacing, deciding whether or not he should call the police because Ephraim is still not home and it's well after 9 o'clock. He has had enough of Andy's ramblings, his rhetorical questions and pacing. She just turns like, Dad, please, get a grip. Of course, there's a knock at the door. Who could that be? It's Harold. He's like, hey, you want to know where your little hoodlum is? Grab your coat because we're going to Denver. Oh, of course Harold's going to blame Ephraim for this whole thing. Oh, this has got to be such a, I mean, it's what, what, like three hours of Harold and Andy in a car together. Oh, I wouldn't have picked you for a vanilla guy. I mean, I thought maybe lemon. So is he talking about, like, yogurt or ice cream? It's actually Rose's car. And Andy, like, picks up the CD. Like, oh, well, that would explain why the soundtrack to my best friend's wedding is in, in here. Ah, okay. Okay, cool. Harold says, well, the CD is mine. I collect soundtracks. Sweet. I like this guy a little more. I like soundtracks. I was 
blocked a list of recent sexual crimes we're cross-referencing. Why? Because I don't think the assembly's going to be enough. We should at least make a stab at figuring out who patient zero is. I, I agree. <clears throat> However, now that the students are better informed, perhaps the infected teenager will come forward willingly. We should give them a day or so to do the right thing. Yeah, you're probably right. So what are you going to say to Amy? I'm going to ground her, obviously. Really? Ground her? Aren't you going to ground Ephraim? <laughs> I thought about it yet. I'm just so relieved that he's all right. Well, for God's sake, don't tell him that. If they knew we were concerned, they would eat us alive. Teenagers, they, they can smell weakness. They're like dogs. I'm not going to hide anything from Ephraim. We're trying to build a relationship based on honesty and trust. Really? How's that working out? Yeah, really. <laughs> Listen, I know you want to be your son's friend, but he doesn't need a friend right now. He needs a parent. How do you know what he wants? He's 15. He's testing you. You are failing the test. What am I supposed to do? You cut class, you punish him, take away his phone privileges, don't allow him to pierce anything for the next six months, but do something. Be his father. So of course Andy doesn't think this whole assembly was going to be enough. So he figures, hey, why don't we get the girls to give us a list of their uh, their sexual history, their partners and everything. We can cross-reference them, see if we can get to the bottom of like who patient zero is. And Harold's like, well, why don't we give it a day, see if the culprit comes forward, and go from there. Now they're kind of like judging each other on... What's going to be, like, are you going to punish your kid? How are you going to punish their kid, your kid? Um, and, of course, Andy's all like, well, I'm just happy the, that he's all right. I mean, I haven't thought of a punishment yet. And, of course, Harold's like, no, you don't want them to know that you're concerned or upset by this because they'll just eat you alive. Kids are like dogs. They can smell fear. <laughs> And Andy's all more concerned with trying to build a relationship uh, based on trust and honesty, all that stuff. And, of course, Harold's like, yeah, really, how's that working out for you? Because of, you know, this whole situation that they're in. And Harold says, look, you need to be a parent. He, Ephraim does not need a friend right now. He needs a parent. Yeah, because, of course, you know, Harold said, well, I'm going to ground Amy. Aren't you going to ground Ephraim? And that's where Andy says, well, I don't really want to do that we're trying to build a, a a relationship based on trust and everything like that and it's like yeah that's not working out so good from what i can see so andy kind of fires back like well how do you know what he wants and harold says he's 15 he's testing you and right now you're failing that test so andy's like well then what am i supposed to do harold's like well hello he cut class you punish him you know, take away his phone. Tell him he can't get anything pierced for six months. It's like, Ephraim doesn't have any piercings. I love how Harold just kind of looks at Ephraim and just judges him based on his appearance. We jump back to the restaurant and Amy, of course, is looking through the window of the door. It's like, oh my gosh, my dad's going to kill me. I'm going to play this clip. I think Amy and Ephraim are going to be talking about their parents and, oh, what do you think your dad's going to do to you? What do you think your dad's going to do to you as, as far as punishment, take something away, ground you, that kind of thing. But I think Amy kind of has her dad wrapped around her little finger. Ephraim, of course, not so much. 
what happens with her she gets punished and then she goes to her mom and sees about getting the punishment reduced until yeah Ephraim's like well I yell he yells we both yell until one of us gets tired and that's pretty much that Andy and Harold come in of course Harold goes right to Amy and like oh why didn't you call me I was so worried he hugs her I'm like oh yeah she ain't getting that much of a punishment of course Ephraim's like I'll be in the car and just walks out of the restaurant. I'm like, okay. All right, we're going to Mama Joy's. Looks like they're closing up. Irv is drinking a cup of coffee. So I'm hoping that finally Edna is going to give Irv some insight as to why that bridge means so much to her and why she's upset that they're going to tear it down. Because I don't think city council's just going to be like, okay, Irv, I know your wife's upset about it. We'll let the bridge, we'll get it fixed up. I don't think that Irv's got that kind of power. I'm going to play this clip here when Edna finally tells Irv why that bridge is so important to her. That's right, she was proposed to on the bridge. Gotcha. Because I guess he's been kind of avoiding her since she blew up at him and everything. Like, okay, I'm backing off. You avoid me? <laughs> Honestly, like Irv so much here, what he does for Edna. So she says she still has feelings about that bridge. She thought she kind of put all of this behind her, you know, she was pr proposed to, and of course not by Irv. 
you know, she's just been missing her first husband, and it's just, it's hard for her. She feels like maybe I should have told you about it from the get-go, but you're not supposed to make me feel better about missing the husband I had before you. And I just, I like him here. Like, you, he tells her you would not be you if Hal Sr. hadn't been in your life. And, you know, how much you don't want to admit how much you love. Why do you call Harold, like, a, a nutter butter? <laughs> yeah, he's like, you wouldn't even be you without that nutter butter son of yours. <laughs> He's just so sweet and forgiving, you know, in a way he's like, I don't need you to pretend that you didn't have a life before me. I mean, yeah, think about it, that spouses that later come in down the road after their spouse's past spouse has passed away. And all Earth wants to do, and this is so sweet, he just wants to be able to put his arms around Edna when she's sad. You know, even if she is sad over someone else, it doesn't matter. He just wants to be there and comfort her and let her, let him comfort her. All right, looks like <laughs> Harold's gotten up early. Brett, or Brett, <laughs> Bright is eating breakfast at this table and Harold's gonna have to have that sex talk with him to see if he might be the culprit that is spreading gonorrhea around. No parent wants to have this conversation, especially not right off in the morning. Right. <coughs> Is there anything you want to talk to me about? <coughs> I'm so sorry, Dad. It's just a scratch bumper, and it's not even my fault. I'm pulling out of this space. This lady comes flying no, in. Let, let me put it another way. Is there anything you need to be tested for medically? Can I get something from a scratch bumper? <laughs> Concerning the STD at your school. <coughs> Alright, Dad, I'm gonna let you in on something that may blow your mind. Think you can handle it? Uh, I doubt it, but try me. Okay. You remember Elka from the real world? The Boston one? Yeah, right. I, I must have been <coughs> Boston. Uh, Elka was supremely hot, but she never sealed the deal with her boyfriend because she had all these, like, religious beliefs. In other words, he's saying he's a virgin. Yeah, I don't need to hear any further about it. But whatever. I love how he's like, like, hey, Dad, remember the show, like, Real World in Boston? Of course. Harold's like, oh, I must have missed Boston. But he's saying about this girl on there named Elka who didn't want to go all the way with her boyfriend because of re religious beliefs. And Bryce's like, well, I'm kind of like her minus the religious beliefs, but it's more the fact that 
the girls he's with don't want to go that far. And of course he's like, well, I'm all totally done with freshmen. And well, basically, of course, when Harold sits down, he's like, do anything you want to talk about. And uh, Bright's like, oh, well, um, I keep calling him Arnold. I apologize. Oh my goodness. Um, Bright's like, oh, well, I'm sorry. Scratch the bumper. <laughs> so Harold's like, no, is there anything you need to be tested for? And when I mean tested, I mean medically. And, of course, that's where Bright goes into the whole real world, I've never had sex, can we please keep this between us, thank you. Of course, before Bright, like, leaves the table, Harold's like, oh, you scratched the bumper. <laughs> Alright, now we're going to go over to Delia and Magilla's playdate. They're playing, I'm guessing, like a PlayStation type of game or something. We can't see it, but there's a plate of cookies on the PlayStation con uh, console. So Magilla, of course, is bored because he's like, oh, I beat you like 7,000 times on this game. And of course, Delia's like, yeah, I know, it's not much fun for me either. Well, if you don't really know the game, and someone else is pretty well-versed in it, yeah, it's not going to be fun to be constantly, like, be beaten again and again. It's like, okay, I'm over this. Here, um, I'm going to play is something that is going to become like a mini storyline with the character Magilla. It's not just like a one and done, he's a friend and they don't develop. They are going to develop this little storyline with him. And this is kind of, I mean, if you want to say Pandora's box, but not really, because he shows her he's got a trunk of which are like Barbies and different things playing, you know, dress up and stuff like that. And he pretty much swears Delia to secrecy, like, don't tell anyone about this, especially none, no one at school, they can't know. For me, either. Want to play something better? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Help me push it out. <laughs> hey, Lund, what are you doing, buddy? <laughs> oh, no, there's a lot of work in there. <laughs> oh wow! Bell and Cinderella dolls. Which one do I get? I'll pick one for you. Aww. <laughs> so Delia helps Magilla pull the big trunk out of the closet. He opens it, and we see a bunch of dolls. I recognize Belle, I recognize Cinderella, there's a few Barbies in there. And I like how Delia doesn't, like, shame him, like, oh, gross, you play with dolls, you're a boy. She just is just in awe, and she looks at him like, which one do I get? And he's like, oh, I'll pick one for you. And it's, just, it's sweet. It's really sweet. And I like how, like I said, this is going to be a continued storyline for Delia and, and Magilla. They're kind of navigating the waters of, you know, stereotypes and stuff like that with boys and girls. All right. Andy's sitting by the fire at night. And now, of course, Ephraim's going to come in and apologize for worrying Andy and all that stuff and I'm hoping they have some form of a talk like Ephraim I know you don't want to talk about this right now but I think for both of our sakes that you we need to have this conversation because I want you to be safe if you're going to have sex 
you need to be safe and use protection. <laughs> I'm sorry I worried you last night. What makes you think I was worried? Okay, I was worried. I'm sorry. I'll call you next time. There won't be a next time. You're grounded for the next two weeks. That means no TV, no phone, no going out. Is that all? If I ever hear that you cut class again, it'll be for a month. Understood? Yeah. Understood. Good. So, you missed the assembly. Look, I already know about safe sex, okay? Mom covered it with me. Maybe she did, but I haven't. working in New York. I had to perform a lumbar puncture. It's basically a spinal tap on this kid who'd been brought in. Could have been more than 17 years old. Good looking, clean cut, well-to-do family. His name was Alfie. Yeah. I remember that because it was so unusual. Anyway, I did the LP, assessed that there was no meningitis, and went about my rounds. But I couldn't stop thinking about Alfie all night. I found out later that the doctors were performing all sorts of tests. <laughs> a couple of days later, I went back to Alfie's room just to check him out, thinking maybe I could figure out what he had. But Alfie was already dead. Holy shit. 17 years old. Six months and thousands of Alfie's later, his sickness finally got a name. AIDS. I needed you to know why I had to come to your school, Ephraim. I needed you to hear that story because I want you always to be careful. I can't afford to lose another person I love. Why didn't you tell me that before? I have no idea how to get your attention, Ephraim. What's that supposed to mean? It means I don't know what to say to you. One day... You seem to hate me. The next day you still hate me. The other days you just hate me. I mean, that's that's not a lot to work with. So if you could maybe let me know when I do say the right thing, I'll make a note of it and and I'll do it more often. Okay? Yeah. Sure. I mean, I can maybe do that. Great. Thanks. You're still grounded. I know. Of course. So Ephraim, of course, like I said, comes in and apologizes. I like how Andy lays down the ha hammer. He doesn't yell. He's just straightforward. It's like, I understand that you're sorry, but in this case, that's not going to make the issue go away. In fact, you're grounded for two weeks. That means no TV, no going out, no phone, none of that. And Ephraim's like, okay. So they... Turns out that Ephraim did have a sex talk with his mom. And, of course, Andy's like, well, that's great, but you're still going to have one with me. And Andy goes into a story about a patient that he had. So, Andy doesn't exactly give a time period. So, right now, this is 2002. Andy says that, you know, when he was working in New York, he had to perform a lumbar 
puncture what he says is basically a spinal tap on a 17-year-old named Alfie, which I think is kind of funny because they had a rabbit named Alfie. Uh, he says how the kid was good-looking, clean-cut, well-to-do family, and everything like that. So, Andy did the procedure and assessed that there was, of course, no meningitis and went about his rounds. And he just, he couldn't get this boy off his mind. And, of course, he found out later that the doctors were performing all sorts of tests. So, a couple days later, of course, Andy went to Alfie's room just to check him out and found that Alfie had passed away. He says, six months and thousands of Alfies later, his sickness finally got a name, and Ephraim, right on the bat, gets it. He says, AIDS. So he tells Ephraim that, you know, I needed you to know why I had to come to your school, Ephraim. And he says that I needed you to hear that story because I want you always to be careful. And this breaks my heart, as Andy says, I can't afford to lose another person that I love. And Ephraim kind of looks at Andy and just asks, why didn't you tell me that before? And for Andy's sake, he's like, look, I mean, as, he says, I have no idea how to get your attention, Ephraim. And Ephraim is all like, what's that supposed to mean? And Andy's like, well, it means I don't know what to say to you. And he's like, you just hate me so much. Like, some one day you hate me, the next day you still hate me, and other days you just, you hate me. And he's like, well, it's not a lot to work with. It's like, I mean, I get it. I don't have a teenage kid. I don't have any children. But I can imagine from Andy's point of view, it's uncomfortable talking about the hard stuff. And it's even harder when you have a child that, doesn't want to listen to anything you say, any advice you have to give, lessons you want to teach them, anything. So he's like, so maybe why don't you let me know when I say the right thing and I'll do that more often. I honestly like how we get little tidbits. It seems like a, a lot of Ephraim and Andy dialogue is either yelling, fighting, uh, Ephraim ignoring Andy... But we get these little bits, and it always seems like they're very towards the end of the episode. Where it seems like Andy's finally getting Ephraim to sit down and actually listen to what he has to say. I like that the fact that Andy, Ephraim's got someone who's not only, he's a, he's a doctor, he's got experience, especially when it comes to situations like this where he's got the expertise from stories from past patients that Ephraim needs to sit down, open his ears, and really listen to his father. I know they don't agree on everything all the time because what parents and kids do, but they as kids need to listen and learn from their parents' experience. Like, they are giving you life experience. You may not handle the situation the same way they did, but you can take their advice and apply it as best you can to your own situation. They're just trying to spare you the hurt and, and heartache of making wrong choices in hopes that maybe you'll make better ones. That's all parents can really do is give you advice and maybe help guide you. They're not telling you how to live your life, but they're giving you advice in ways that probably could save your life later on. 
And Andy's right. It's like, if you can't stop a kid from having sex, if they want to go out there and have sex, they're going to find a way. The same way, if a kid wants to try drugs or whatever, they're going to do it. You can't, you can give them all the advice in the world, but if they're wanting to do something that bad, they're going to find a way. The only thing you can do is give the child or person advice in hopes that they will make the right decision. Because when it comes to sex, you don't get that first time back. Once it's gone, it's gone. All you have left is the, the memory and the experience and hopes that next time that you've learned from the first time and just take that knowledge with you going into the future. Just be careful and that's all you can really do. Use precautions, use protection. It's there for you for a reason. Most people are so scared, like, oh, what if I get pregnant? But it's like, they don't stop and think about the fact that there are diseases. There's so many diseases out there. You don't know who you're, if you're sleeping with someone, you don't know who else they've been with. You know, that saying, like, when you sleep with someone who's been with other partners, you're technically sleeping with every person that they've been with. So just make wise choices. And think about things. Like, do I need to do this just because everyone's out, everyone else is doing it? Am I doing it because I'm in just in the moment and I want to, yeah. I really like this moment between Ephraim and Andy. Some of their mo I really, really, and I noticed that that purple that Ephraim had in his hair is gone now. Good they got rid of that. So now, of course, comes to the end scene with Edna getting Harold, waking him up at the crack of dawn because, of course, they're going to demolish that bridge and she needs her son to be there for support. And I think she needs him to understand why that bridge is so important to her, that piece of history between her husband, Harold's, you know, Harold's father and everything. I had only three hours of sleep last night. About a hundred times now. I swear, you yammer on like an old woman. Besides, we're almost there. Almost where? We're in the middle of forest oblivion. I didn't know you better, Mother. I think you brought me out here to knock me off. Second thought. Come on. You see that? The kissing bridge, yes. Of course I see it, Mother. Why in the world? Your pops and I shared our first kiss on that bridge. <laughs> he proposed to me on that bridge. And the day I found out I was pregnant with you... I took him down here and told him. I know you think I got on with things too quick after he was gone. I probably did. But your father's death, Harold, is what made me realize more than ever just how valuable our one shot at life is. And I didn't want to miss a second more of it. Anyway, I loved him very much. I wanted you to know that. Oh, she's going to blow it up. Oh, God. Children and the grandchildren. 
Only now, when they do, the ending is a lot more exciting. I love her digs at her son. You yammer on like an old woman. He's, he's complaining about only having gotten three hours of sleep. Alright, my fault. <laughs> he's like, gosh, we're in the middle of no- he, I noticed that he's got like a hanky or clean it up. Something with him, probably because of his allergies. He's like, gosh, we're in the middle of the uh, the forest. You know, if I didn't know any better, I think you're t bringing me out here to knock me off. So she's like, get over here. You see that? And he's like, yeah, it's the kissing bridge. Why are we here again? So the kissing bridge isn't just where Harold's father proposed to his mother. She also shared her first kiss with Harold. Um, Hal Sr. on that bridge. And that's where she brought him out when she was pregnant with Harold as well. So that bridge holds the biggest moments of their relationship. And I thought that someone else, like the city, was going to demolish it. But maybe they listened to Irv. But I see she loaded it with dynamite, that bridge. And he's, Harold sees and he's like, gosh, mother, what are you doing? And she blows the bridge, well, half of the bridge up. And she says, I'm grieving. Oh, and I, I get it. She says, you know, you probably think that I moved on too quickly after your father's death. And yeah, you're right. I probably did. And she says that Hal Sr.'s life just showed her just how valuable our one shot at life is. I don't know exactly what Harold's father passed away from exactly, whether I think it might have been a heart attack. And she adds how she doesn't want to miss a second more of her life. And it really, you can hear her voice kind of breaking when she says, I loved him very much. I wanted you to know that. And Harold kind of has this contemplative look on his face. Like, well, I mean, in the back of my, my mind, I think that he knows. But maybe to hear her say the words reaffirms that. Of course, we have Irv's narration to close out the episode. As he says, that evening was the last time anyone saw the kissing bridge in its full glory. And even though Everwood's symbol of innocence is no longer with us, people still tell its story to their children and their grandchildren. Only now when they do, the ending is a lot more exciting. And that was the episode, guys. Oh, gosh, this was such, it was such a good episode. All right, so the scene that stole my heart. I gotta say the end one with Edna and Harold and her blowing up the, the kissing bridge and just her telling Harold, you know, I loved your father and just all the big mom momentous moments in her marriage, you know, well, and when she shared her first kiss with Harold, Harold, oh God, with Hal Sr., and when he proposed to her on that bridge also, and then when she found out she was pregnant with Harold, she told his father on that bridge. So, yeah, and that's just, that's her grieving and finally letting go and moving forward. The memories are always going to be there in her heart. But that's her way of kind of releasing him and just, yeah. Uh, broke my heart. I got to go with this scene with Amy asking Colin to the fall dance, even though he's still in a coma. Yeah. That was just, it was sad. 
So no one this episode needed a heart. I mean, maybe Magilla, but with the upcoming storyline between him and Delia, I'm kind of... That frozen heart of Magilla is slowly starting to thaw. Um, another scene that kind of stole my heart a little bit, of course, I'm going to give second place to Andy and Ephraim's scene at the end where he is explaining to Ephraim about why it is so important to be careful if you're going to have sex. And, of course, the life lesson from that about the patient, Alfie, that Andy had worked on many years ago. And, of course, you know, not realizing that Alfie had passed, you know, from AIDS later on, of course, so many thousands and thousands of patients later, that disease, you know, what he died from finally had gotten a name. And Ephraim hit it right on the head when he says AIDS. Because, mind you, that's this is two, 2002 when this episode is airing. The AIDS epidemic, epidemic was very, very high in, in the 80s. Probably at its highest. And we were still... I remember learning about Ryan White when I was probably about 10 or 11 years old in my sex ed class. We had watched a video about him talking about all the ways you can and can't get AIDS. So, all right, so the episode for April is going to be episode five entitled Dear God, and Dear is spelled D-E-E-R, so like the animal. That episode is written by Michael Green, directed by Arlene Sanford, of course, and it aired on October 14th, 2002. There's no place like home. Ephraim identifies with the lost doe's plight and leads the animal on a trek to its wilderness home. Delia seeks proof God exists so you'll, she'll so she'll know for sure her mom is safely in heaven. Alright. So I will be back in April with Dear God. Everyone have a safe weekend and yeah, I will be back in April and we'll kind of see how things are rolling around that time. Bye-bye, everybody.